right, welcome everybody to another episode of our Puget Systems podcast. Uh, this week, we're excited to have Seth. There we go, Seth War- Warley. Is it? Did I say that right? Yeah, it's pronounced Brian. No, yeah, it's oh. Seth War. Yeah, Warley. <laughs> Just Warley, like a Warley bird or a Warley. Yeah. Okay, cool. And man, okay, so I had a during you saw the little intro clip there. Um, I actually had a hard time kind of narrowing down what to put uh, to describe your very prolific <laughs> in your skill set and <laughs> background. Um, prolific so, is kind, uh, unfocused, <laughs> and uh, yeah, scatterbrain might be closer, but yeah, I, I like prolific. That was, no, it was fun. Um, and so uh, we'll try and keep it short, but um, I always like to have the guests uh, kind of give a little intro of who they are and what they do. So um, go ahead. Oh, well, I'm Seth Worley. I am a senior content creator at Maxon, uh, where I make where I uh, make tutorials and marketing material and primarily host uh, a weekly live stream uh, show, weekly talk show on YouTube called VFX and Chill with Hashi and Seth with my my pal Danny Hashimoto. Each week we break apart, uh, we, we pick uh, a recent uh, or classic visual effects shot or sequence from movie movies or TV and break it apart and try to put it back together again. Uh, live on on air on youtube with little to no preparation ahead of time um so uh on top of that i'm also a commercial director directing commercials for uh companies like sandwich and uh bad robot uh to name a few i'm also uh i have a company called plot devices we make uh notebooks and tools for storytelling for uh, particularly writers and directors tools like the story clock workbook which is for breaking story and outlining story um and then uh, on top of that i also uh host a podcast called the writer's room game show with my pal ryan Polly. every week we generate a an original feature film idea from scratch in under 60 minutes based on a set of random prompts generated by a uh by an iPhone shortcut, essentially, that generates four prompts that we have to follow. And we write a movie from scratch in under an hour and pitch it to somebody. Um, and, uh, man, what am I forgetting? There's some other stuff as well. <laughs> you can see, yes, where the confusion came from. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like I said, that's quite quite the resume for sure. Um, I'm curious, is, do, you, do you have any idea of like what it is that has caused you to kind of jump around like that? Uh, ADD. Primarily attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, I, uh, I've just found that I'm the most productive and the most fulfilled when I'm, when I'm, uh, either working on one thing that is really, it's when I'm working on several things that each exercise a different muscle. Um, I, and, 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 and challenging me and growing me. I, I also have found that I have the most fun when those uh, things are collaborative. And okay. so sometimes the hopes of collaborating with as many people t- often means working on several different projects. Um, sure. But I also just have just found diversifying the portfolio, not just for vocational success, but uh, just for like personal fulfillment I've, f- I've found is, um, is usually my best bet is just working on 
so having several different uh, things, plates spinning at a time. I, I mixed about 12 metaphors, I think, at this point. But yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. I, I kind of like, I've, I kind of goofed around in my 20s too and, and did all kinds of weird, crazy stuff that wouldn't you wouldn't think directly applies, but has definitely informed um, more of my later career. And so, so I, yeah. I, I can well, feel I'm, I'm stuck perpetually in my 20s. I'm actually 37, so I should have nailed it down by now. But um, really, the main thing that I do, like if if like if I can only do one thing, I'm definitely a director above all things, but okay. or a writer director, I would say it's like director writer is right below it, but it's like. Directing, directing is the only thing I can uh, I, I can enjoy doing without doing all the other stuff. Writing, uh, it's hard for me to enjoy writing if I'm not directing the thing that I'm writing. It's almost impossible for me to enjoy visual effects if it's for someone else's project. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I think that I, I most like uh, directing is kind of like my main. I think I talk about the T-shaped employee. It's an old model, yeah. but like mm-hmm. that, that main deep, well, that's the directing and kind of everything kind of uh, comes out of that and sprouts from that, like writing and visual effects. All of that came out of necessity for my big ideas as a director. Um, when I was in my twenties and it was just me, like I learned this stuff and plus I just like, I like filmmaking. I like all aspects of it and I like knowing how to do all aspects of it. And yeah. yeah. Oh, that's smart. Cause I know it, it can be annoying for a specialist to have somebody who doesn't quite understand how the work is done, tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. And so to have at least a bit of a basic understanding of all the extra little bits and pieces that go into everything, I think helps quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Um, I, I feel like there's a, there's the conception of what a director is and does and is that is the, is that cliche sort of is the truth of it or or is it different than what people most see? They just walk around yelling at people. It kind of right, like the, that's kind of the idea that people have kind of in their head, and I feel like there's got to be more to it than that. Man, I don't know. I I, I I think that every director is completely different. I I am convinced I'm doing it the wrong way. Um, uh, I I have always looked at it as. Uh, well, always looked at it. These days, I look at it as it's a job where you are you. Uh, every decision you have in your head, like the vision for what the thing should be, and you are kind of the keeper and executor of the vision. And okay. what comes with that, I think, is not just take actors for example like you have it's basically like empowering all of your collaborators and all of your like the heads of all your departments um giving uh making sure they have what they need to do the job they need to get done have all the information and vision and direction from you and support from you but then at the same time um uh are being listened to by you like um i i like for example like actors like i I have an approach with working with actors. Uh, I like to get out of their way and let them do their job first and foremost. Sure. And if I, if I have like uh, it, sometimes I'll come in and I'll have, I'll have uh, adjustments or direction based on kind of like preconceived notions I had of what I was hoping to get from them. But I just know from experience that more than anything, 
when you hire a human being to come in and do a job, that human being is going to bring some their own humanity to it. And you're always, almost always better off figuring out what that thing is that they bring to it that you that you're not bringing to it and leaning into that finding a way to use that or you know worst case scenario exploit it like to use it for the benefit of the of the of the larger project okay. um and so whereas like you know I, I see some people like who will like work with an actor and like and just like give notes and notes and notes and like try to find trying to like hammer them into this like performance they were hoping to get from the person whereas i like to kind of see what they bring to the table and then and then try and like through collaboration figure out like uh, how how to how lean the performance in their direction that they're already kind of that they are uh and that's how i see it as with every department is like to provide an environment where everybody can bring their a game to the table and i don't get in the way of it um and just like be that empowering supportive uh person who is really just there to remind everybody hey this is the thing that we're making and this is the direction that we're supposed to be going um to some directors that's walking around yelling at people and uh to me it's uh often it's just prepping the living hell out of a project and then sitting and then just you know being present on the set and answering questions when they come at you you know that's cool i like that i i like that kind of leadership um technique where it's more of a guidance like hey this is where we're trying to go i trust the people that i've put into these positions let's all get there together yeah i mean yeah. that's what it is it's just trusting the people you work with and uh it, and that starts with hiring you know trying to hire the best people you can which i'm fortunate that i get to do yeah, yeah that's pretty cool how has how has maybe that process changed for you from like the early days on into um, like, did it were you struggle to kind of get to this point? Um, was it, or is this just the natural flow for you? Man, my life is like, I've, I, I've force gumped my way through everything in life where, <laughs> um, and anytime that I've like tried to do to accomplish anything or do anything like on my own volition, like, and will something into existence, it's just, beaten the living crap out of me but whenever oh. i just do what is right in front of me uh like an idiot <laughs> who is like uh, uh with with no goals and no aspirations like that's almost always like no i mean it's like it's it's done really well for me um i mean yeah <laughs> I want well, it's it's like uh, and it starts with privilege and it starts with uh, uh, privilege like a lot of it definitely starts with privilege but um, uh, I've just always been able like uh, I mean uh, uh, yeah so to say yes hard work lots of hard work but but sure. the most productive hard work has been the hard work uh, uh, that I've put into whatever is already right in front of me to work on and yeah uh, making that thing as great as I can and is and making the process of making that thing as rewarding as I can. Um, and it's, it almost, it usually leads to the next thing. Um, and if not, I just call and text everybody I know and beg for a job. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, before, during the, uh, the other answer, you had mentioned that you like, you, you prep like hell ahead mm -hmm. of, ahead of a project. Um, can you walk us through what that process looks like? Yeah. Well, it's different for every project. Sure. Um, uh, if I am 
whether and let's just even I guess it's kind of the same whether I write it or I don't write the script or don't write the script. But these days on like a commercial, I uh, if someone else wrote the script, a lot of times if it's an agency, the agency will have uh, their own storyboards that they've made. But then weirdly, for reasons I don't understand, it's just the way the process has been for centuries. Uh, you're brought in as a director and expected to make your own story. Like, you know, like either I've been on some jobs, they want to, they want, they want to see your storyboards now, even though they went ahead and did them. Um, but I've seen other jobs where they expect you to shoot their boards exactly as is. So one of the first things you do is like you, find out what the client, you know, wants, what the client or the agency is, uh, is wanting. Like, is this exactly the way they want it to be shot? And here's like, I, so prepping, prepping for me first starts off with a bunch of questions. Like what are some compare, like I get this vibe from the script. Like I, uh, I throw out some examples of like, I, I read it and I, I, I think of, you know, mo- th- these movies or these TV shows or mm-hmm. these other spots. Like, is this the kind of tone and vibe that you're going for? Um, if not, what, um, help me kind of get an idea for like what it is, what your vision is for this is. And when I have a clear understanding of that, I will, part of my job as director is, um, on most of these commercials uh, is to, uh, in one of the first steps is making a location and casting breakdowns, which essentially location breakdowns. Uh, it's just a, like it's just a description of like the locations that we need for the project and like my description mm-hmm. of what we need out of them, what they should look like, a bunch of uh, reference, which for me comes with a bunch of reference imagery. Um, I'll make a I'll just make a deck, a PDF that has like a page for each location, the brief description and a bunch of reference imagery and then casting breakdowns. I'll give each character a page uh, with bunch of reference imagery of characters from TV shows or movies that are kind of the vibe and style that of what I'm looking for in an actor for that role. And then a brief description of the character. And that okay. helps me like kind of nail down the vision and tone for it. And it also ends up helping a bunch of other departments, like even, uh, uh, you know, the art, art department will, look at this deck and see like, okay, see the reference imagery I pulled for the locations and know this is kind of the vibe we're going for wardrobe. We'll see pictures of the actors I'm going for and they'll have an idea and understanding for like the tone of the thing. Um, I found that like, you know, that, that first step of, of location breakdowns and character breakdowns really helps um, nice. define the vision. And then, then it's down into like the practical execution uh, of it. I try to have a shot list of my, like a bare bones uh, shot list. Uh, If I know the location that we're doing, like ahead of the tech scout, I will, uh, I'll often have overhead, like camera overheads of just here's where the talent is. And here are all the camera directions. I hear all the directions I need to shoot them from and all the different angles. And then, and I'll, because my brain tries to think as practically as possible, I'll often have that shot list in a proposed uh, shoot order. Um, I just, I like to have as much of a vision. And and this is by the way, before the tech scout, because usually like you get to the tech scout and everything is, let me back up. So I'll make the shot list. uh, And I know that it's probably going to change. Um, but this is like, if I go into a coma between now and the day of the shoot, <laughs> I at least can show up with a, this plan. Uh-huh. Um, 
get to the tech scout, walking through with your DP and your AD and everything, all the department heads. And you discover, oh my God, everything looks way better from this angle because I didn't know these windows were back over here. Or it would be really cool to actually follow the, instead of doing three, covering this this move in three shots, let's just follow the character with a, with a steady cam uh, down this hallway, you know, and turn that into one shot. And at that point, uh, uh, an assistant director is on set working, uh, working with me and they are taking notes and making a new shot list based on everything that I said. Yeah. Um, and then we discuss on the tech scout, uh, and then we'll leave and the AD will then kind of have all of that prep work that I've done combined with the brainstorming that we did on the tech scout and they'll do their, their schedule and their shot list and I'll approve it. And then the night before the shoot, I'll go through that shot list the AD has made and I'll put all that stuff into my phone. Uh, Cause I don't like to walk around with uh, sheets of paper in my hand. Sure. Um, I like something that can either fold up and fit in my pocket or have it on my phone. Nice. And so sometimes I'll use oh, practical examples. Oh, gonna hype my own product on the show. I was, I was gonna say, yeah, plug it up. Yeah, man. I have to say that that story clock notebook in particular was really, really cool. Thanks, man. Well, that's I mean, that's talking prep on the writing side. That's a whole other department of things, and that's uh, uh, that like, you know, the idea behind the story clock notebook my came from the same place that all of this prep work comes from, which is one a need to procrastinate before doing any work Two, a need to like uh, a need to find even the most arbitrary sources of confidence to do my job. And a lot, and what, and a lot of times that's just preparedness. That's having a list of what I need to accomplish. Um, either when I sit down in front of the computer to write or when I show up on set to work, but like this, uh, we make these applied devices, we make these notepads that are called the shot list notepad. And they are, you can just like, uh, do you can fit about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten shots on one page? Okay, yeah. And there's a little thumbnail for storyboarding. There's like you jot down like what the shot is, you jot down shot size, shot move. You can do a little thumbnail storyboard if you want, and then you can fold this up, put it in your pocket. And if you drop it, it's this solar yellow color, you'll see it from far away. And I like to just have I'll, I'll the night before, even though the the, uh, the AD has made like, you know, a full shot list and schedule, I'll write this up just for me so mm-hmm. I can reference it throughout the day and know exactly where we are in the day. What's what we just shot, what's next, where it all fits in the realm of the story. I'll have my notes all written on the back nice. um, and the notes. And I'll try on every shoot to have notes um, for every department notes for particularly with actors for the day of the shoot. Like I'll have no, I'll have like, I'll, I'll talk out the script uh, here in my office looking like an idiot. And um, I'll, I'll play every part essentially and kind of, and write as many notes down as I can um, for like how to describe or motivate like certain inflections I want or certain like energy or feelings that I want. So, and then I'll just have that on the day to reference and remember in case I need it in case, you know, in case, in case we need it in case the actor needs it for any reason or um, it's just a way to try and avoid as many long breaks where I'm staring dumbfoundedly in the air and saying, uh, well, while you know a crew of people are waiting on me to tell them what to do like i prefer that everyone knows 
as quick as they can what to do and what I need and so they can do it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Time is money, right? Like you only have so much to, to yeah. windows and stuff to work within. So yeah, that's cool. Time is money. Money is power. Power is pizza. <laughs> and April Ludgate once said in Parks and Rec. <laughs> so and see this is what i mean there's a lot more that goes into it than just like yelling at people and slapping a a clapboard you know um you don't even get to do the clapboard that's other that's someone else's job yeah well then i my aspirations for directing is out the window oh directing is the best i'm not allowed to touch anything because i'll break it (laughs) i will break the clapboard i'll break a camera i break props regularly when someone allows me to touch them so i just sit in the back with my 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 notepads and notebooks and my phone nice make jokes that's that's cool um i'm curious what what so far what has been your favorite project and and why oh boy I have a different answer for every way to answer that question. Um, man, I don't know. Like final product wise, my favorite, one of my favorite, I don't have a favorite. I don't have a favorite final product, but I will say that I think I did. I made a short film um, at Red Giant um, 2015 called Old New. Um it was narrated by Patton Oswalt. It's about a guy. It was this like Dr. Seussian kind of story about a guy who, uh, who, who is like an early adopter of technology obsessed with only new stuff. Uh, this, uh, discovers the novelty of nostalgia and old stuff and, uh, falls down this rabbit hole of novelty and nostalgia. And, and then it, until he takes it too far and ends up like living, in a in a decrepit cabin with moldy floors and uh eating you know spider webs and is like i maybe a blend of the two is best and we we were fortunate to get Patton Oswalt to narrate it and it uh Arne Rabinowitz and I wrote it and it was a very fun thing to write because it all rhymed and oh, cool that's and hard it's, yeah it's very hard but it was also very gratifying when it worked and it was one where we didn't have a ton of money for that one. And so I uh, cast my little brother as the main character who had been in several of my other shorts and scored many of them as well. And he and I would just be like, Hey, are you free today? Let's go shoot this, this, and this. Let's just go grab this shot, this shot, and this shot. Cause it was paced very much like we called it like if, uh, if Martin Scorsese, like if, no, if Walt Disney made Goodfellas, that's what the tone of this thing would be. So it's like, it's, uh, you know, another reference is like the way Forrest Gump, the way that Forrest Gump has like so many cutaway jokes to like one shot gags that are like this one camera move repeated over and over across, across time. Um, uh, it's like so much of that movie is just like each scene, maybe one shot. That's just one gag that we'd go sh- find a location and shoot without a permit really fast and then run away. Um, uh, <laughs> run away. <laughs> that, that was a fun one. And then I'd say there was a, uh, a short that I made with, um, it was a short that I made with uh, Ryan Connolly at film riot. Um, called real gone this was also in 2015 um and that was a dark comedy where i tried a lot of stuff tonally and um 
stylistically that I had not done my previous shorts. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was a, it was full of a lot of challenges. It was a really fun creative process, but also it was one of the most gratifying production um, processes because it was the very first time in my career that I had like really successfully delegated every aspect of production and just directed. Um, And it was a, it was a really gratifying process behind the scenes. Like it was a really fun shoot. It was challenging, but it was really fun. By the way, amazing work being quick on the draw, finding those links and putting them in the chat. That's amazing. Um, uh, now I'm just going to start listing stuff to see if you can find it as a challenge. It's, it's been, it's, it's from your website. Oh, That's, perfect. <laughs> which I will um, also link uh, in, in the chat. Thanks, man. I'm really enjoying right now the podcasts that I'm doing with my pal Ryan Polly, uh, the Writer's Room Game Show. That's been a fun way to exercise our – because the past couple of years for me have been a lot of uh, r- – developing projects and pitching them pitching projects in those projects not going anywhere and so this has been a fun exercise in kind of just writing something for the sake of writing something and having fun doing it um yeah it's a a cool premise i'm gonna have to look more into this um i didn't have time to really deep in deep dive into it but your explanation of it is very interesting i like that it's it's super random and like it kind of stretches your creativity muscle, you know? Yeah. It's fun. Like here, I'll real quick, I'll generate a, a prompt just for us right now. Uh, I'm not allowed to develop this without poly presence. So you and I can't go write this right now, but fair. Uh, the, the assignment today is to write uh, the genre is experimental. The tone is absurd. That's pretty easy, but the demographic is boys age six to nine. So we need to, this absurd experimental film needs to uh, appeal to young boys. And the studio is mandated that Timothy Chalamet play the lead character. So from there, we need to come up with the pitch. Halfway through, we'll get a wildcard mandate where the studio will call and say, you know what? We were thinking... What if it was based on the board game Monopoly, which is the wildcard mandate that it just threw at me? So then halfway through, we have to pivot our, our everything we developed up to that point into a Monopoly adaptation. Um, it's fun, man. It's a really fun podcast and really yeah. weird and really dumb. Um, and then I love the show I'm doing at Maxon, VFX and Chill with uh, Hashi and Seth. It is... Uh, I'm not kidding when I say we do little to no preparation prep work ahead of time. And so it's us. There's so much of the show is us like, I wonder if this will work and then it not working and us figuring out why it didn't work and trying other stuff and, uh, and getting distracted and making memes. And it's fun, man. It's fun. No, And that that sounds like a similar sort of deal too, where um, it's just very random and you have to kind of just be creative on the fly without, which and you know i think there's a direct correlation with the the fact that like i get so much gratification out of those things and i also get so much gratification out of directing um because i so much of the best part of directing in my opinion is problem solving the worst part of it is idea generation from nothing like it's just like deciding we're going like it's like deciding what we're going to do like Mm -hmm. that's the part that it's like, no, it's so much easier to start with something and be told, oh, you can't do that, but you can do this and this and this. And then making, like getting to the thing that you wanted to do using only those things. Um, that's where I tend to thrive. Uh, so I, that's why my, I think that's probably why my answers are what they are. Right now. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, that's good. I like it. It's, it. 
again, it, it flexes that creativity. You have to yeah. kind of make it up on the fly. And it's, it's really hard. Uh, like I had no, no thoughts or inputs on that writing prompt at all. Like, just, Oh, I, I didn't no either. Idea how to put any of that. I in. didn't either. And so what we <laughs> end up doing in that case is talking and talking and talking about it and Googling everything we can and making jokes until something kind of clicks within the last 15 minutes. And then we just scramble and make it up as we pitch it. Cool. Um, and yeah. you guys like actually try and like, pitch this to professionals like to make to have well, this so, become a thing or well we have not gotten that far um we what we end up doing we have a focus group at the end of the episode which is just some one person that we've picked from the target audience we were signed and one person who kind of represents that target audience and we pitch them the idea and then we ask them uh four questions we uh, on a scale of one to ten would you see this movie on a scale of one to ten how likely are you to recommend this movie to a friend if it is what if it's everything that we've made it seem like it's going to be um uh scale of one to ten our adherence to the assignment that the studio gave us uh and then scale of one to ten uh just the idea in general overall and and then we kind of determine if we get above a 35 a score of 35, then we, then we, that's considered a, the studio bought the idea. That's a sold idea. We've just started doing this like point system very recently on the show. Cause the whole idea was to kind of gamify it and make it a fun, like it's why it's called the writer's room game show. Um, and so we just, this, we just started season three and we just started this, uh, process, uh, of this idea of like the studio could buy it if it's above 35 and mm-hmm. out of, the first four episodes we've rec- well, I'm I can't give it away. We've we've sold we've we've sold less than you would think. <laughs> well, I guess not. We've sold more than you would think. Less than we would think. Um, but uh, yeah, we're actually. And then we. What's funny is we've done we've done twenty to thirty episodes now, and I think out of that, there's five or six ideas that we would a hundred percent develop and actually pitch um, in May. Uh, there's actually one or two that we actually are, have like continue to develop off mic and try to try and set up somewhere. Wow. Well, that's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. How about that? Huh. Wow. That's, wow. That was really <laughs> Thanks man. Looking forward to that. That'd be really cool. Um, so you have, you have some experience both like in kind of bigger commercial sort of projects and then you have, um, I guess uh, what I would, I guess, characterize as side projects, but they still seem fairly robust in their professionalism and their pro, you know production quality and such. Do you find how much difference is there really between um, the the two? I suppose because you're you're pretty high high level professional. Do you enjoy a lot of that? Very high level. <laughs> well, in in terms of of your experience and and the quality of product that you've produced, do you find that that injects itself into some of these side projects as well? Like, do you overcomplicate what is a, more of a casual sort of... 500%. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Way overcomplicated. <laughs> um, funny enough, I tend to undercomp... I tend to try and undercomplicate the larger scale things. Hmm. For the most part. I'm, I'm constantly trying... I feel like I'm constantly want, like telling everybody that they're overthinking their jobs um, on larger scale stuff. But like, I feel like I'm constantly telling people you're working too hard. You're th- overthinking this. It just needs to be this. Uh, 
Whereas on the smaller things where there's no money and it's just like the two of us, I'm like, but what if, but what if it were something no one's ever done before? Like, that's where I'm like, I I do tend to overcomplicate uh, things. But I think at the end of the day, it's just, you, it was, you play, I know nothing about sports, but like you play till the buzzer, like you play to the buzzer, like you, um, you don't stop trying to make the thing the best thing it can be until someone physically stops you from doing it. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of how I think every creative person is and how I am with my work. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you draw that line? Where do like, cause is it, is it always, is it, I imagine it's either time or budget that ends up being those hard constraints. It's definitely, I draw that. I lately it's, I, I draw it at like 6 PM. Like, uh, it tends to be like, uh, man, I don't know. There's no tangible, like clear line. I think it's mm-hmm. just like understanding, like when you're asking too much of somebody, uh, or of yourself, um, yeah, it's not a very satisfying answer, but I think it's just like constantly being aware of how much you might be stretching some stretching people. I mean, like, uh, well, I'll put it this way on set. It's very simple. Safety is like the clear line. Um, like, no, I'm not going to make uh, it would be great. The script calls for this person to have a knife in their hand while they're running. But no, you know what? They, they've they shown me over and over that it's not safe for them to be running through a field with this knife in their hand. I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to push any more on this. I'm going to find a way to make this continuity work without her having a knife in her hand. Like that kind of a thing. Like yeah. safety draws, a, to me, draws a clear line. Um, nice. And then like time. Time is like the biggest thing of like, we literally have a deadline. We can't make this happen in this amount of time. Like just like you stick to your list of priorities, knock those out. And then if you've bought yourself extra time, uh, use it to make the thing better. And if you buy yourself extra resources, like use it to make the thing better, but don't, don't overwork people. Don't let people overwork themselves. I think it's, I think it's very much your responsibility as a director, as a collaborator in general, I think you have a responsibility to your peers to like, to not let to to just to do everything you can to not let people uh, destroy themselves in, toward the creation of of anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's good advice in general too. Um, Don't destroy yourselves. Yeah, yeah. There's there seems to be, or at least in previ, I say maybe pre-pandemic, there was this sort of pressure to like the grind culture the you know hustler mentality oh man i work 16 hours a day and i'm trying to do this yeah the hustle thing and like i think i said hustler which is a different thing than hustler (laughs) (laughs) no no um but yeah i think it drives to that point of and i feel like there's been a bit of a mindset shift in the last couple years where people are feeling more confident in saying like drawing that line in the sand and say like i'm not going to kill myself for this um like taking their time a little bit, being more patient with, with getting to their goals. Yeah. yeah. I, I just can't think of a single thing that is worth. I, I talk about it. Like, I, you know, people I work with, like 
Yeah, you know, I'm a director, so I I I I only see my own sets. Like, but like everybody I collaborate with, they're on other people's sets all the time, and so they they're they're exposed to all kinds of different leadership styles and uh, and and set and set culture and set like tones. And I I am just flabbergasted by some of the stories I hear because like. I don't understand how anyone thinks that anything we're doing is important enough to treat people the way that some people treat other people. I, we're making commercials, we're making videos, we're making movies, whatever it is we're making. It's just not worth like, I just don't think it's worth like pushing yourself and other people to certain degrees that people do, but it doesn't mean that it's not worth trying hard to make something like a 500%. It's worth trying hard. And, and it, but it's not worth like, uh, 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 hurting quality of life for anybody, um, to, to make anything like that's a zero sum game. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm there with you. And, and I like, I like that there is uh it's more acceptable to, you know, the work life balance and, and people are taking like mental health more seriously and burnout and this and that. And, and really just the concept of enjoying your work every day. Yes. It's so important. I think I've talked about this a lot uh, when I teach or when I like give talks or have, you know, conversations like this one, I, I find it's just, it, I forget what I was going to say, which is exactly what I just did. No, you said something. You said, uh, what was the very last thing you said? And forgive me. Um, it was uh, mental health um, and enjoying your work every day. That's it. Process. So I, <laughs> I'm like, I talk about this all the time. And then I just <laughs> forgot it and did not say it. I said it um, 30 seconds ago and I almost forgot. Yeah, man. Uh, process. Like you, you can never guarantee no matter how hard you work uh, and no matter how hard you try and, and no matter how many good and right, dis correct decisions you make, you still can never guarantee that the res final result will be will give back what you put into it sure. um, in terms of like just sheer quality of the final product in terms of uh, commercial success or critical success. Uh, you can't guarantee any of that. And so you can't bank anything on that. Like as a creator, you can't personally as a human being bank the success of the project on any of those things. The only thing you can control is the process. Like it was, well, the only thing you can control is what you can control the process. And as a director, you have a, you have a massive amount of control over the quality of the process for yourself and for everyone else. And so like, you got to keep it a priority to protect and um, preserve that quality of like culture on your set of, um, of the quality of your collaborations and your relationships on set and off the set and, and in post and every, in every, in every area. Um, I think just process, a lot of people forget and don't realize that process is the process is the thing that's going to, you're going to remember the most about a project and that's going to lead to more often than not as a director and especially commercial director, it's, it's often what leads to more work is um, you know, I had a friend tell me on one of my first commercials, I leaned over and I said, I, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm contributing anything to this as a director. Like, 
the agency wrote the whole thing. They storyboarded the whole thing. I, at the end of every take, I'm saying cut and turning to them. And if they like it, then I'm good to go to the next take. If they don't, no matter what I thought, we're still doing it again. Like, And I leaned over to my friend. I was like, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. And he said, dude, honestly, more often like more often than not on these occasions, like you, w- what they need from you is just to, an easy collaborator. Is just someone who's good to work with? And that I'm telling you is like such a major factor in like with, whether you get more work, uh, it's just being a, a pleasant person to work with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Process. No, I- Hey, I mean, I think anybody can relate to that where no matter what job you're doing, if you're working with somebody who sucks, it's going to make the whole miserable. <laughs> yeah. It's going to make everything miserable. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've worked plenty of jobs where there was just that one person who was a complainer or, you know, the constant negative Nancy and, and it spreads because there some, you know, at some point somebody's like, oh yeah, yeah, you know what, Jim, Jim's got the right idea. Yeah, this, that is unfair, and that's not yeah. cool. And it's screw Jim. No, yeah, and it's it, the worst. And it tears teams apart. Or you get that one weird toxic guy or person, and and it's not cool. It's not cool. No, totally agree. Oh, I like that. It's important to highlight. But I feel like there's kind of a balance to be maintained too. Like you can't just you know go along just to get along. I feel like there's you have to kind of also have your own boundaries and and whatnot too. You don't want to be walked all over or have, especially as a director, maybe have somebody who's got kind of an ego maybe push back and tell you what things are supposed to be done. Yeah. So, uh, oh yeah, we're okay for a little bit for time. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, um, looking to the future, there's all kinds of cool stuff happening right now. I just, just yeah. even on, on Twitter today, I, I came across some, and then LinkedIn, some really, really great stuff coming out of um, like Unreal 5 with their metahumans mixed in with this deep face live thing. Yeah. Um, I just saw a cool video of a gentleman doing a virtual production sort of clip with a big TV behind him instead of like a green screen yeah. and an LED volume. Yeah. Um, what are you most excited about in the, the near future? Like say one to five years ahead. Oh boy. That's a great question. I do love the virtual production side of things. I love it. Um, as a, Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I, my whole thing, I'm, I'm very much a, like, I grew up at the altar of Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg. Like, that's m- the filmmaking and, like, the VFX as an illusion um, uh, for storytelling. Uh, for uh, That's kind of, that's very much my my thing, like, where I'm passionate. And I think the virtual production side of things as a, I think it has a lot of really cool potential that I'm seeing from friends as a stylistic thing, like for music videos and commercials, uh, really, really fun, cool stuff being made. I am excited by what it provides from a more traditional VFX standpoint in the way that like, you know, ILM has been using it on the Mandalorian and uh-huh. all those projects. Uh, I'm interested to figure out like, you know, what it brings to the table that, uh, in, I haven't gotten to shoot a virtual production thing yet, but I'm, I have some friends here in town who have been trying to get me to come, you know, play with some of their new toys and stuff. And I am very excited to, I would love to. Um, so I'd say that I also, I think I just get really excited by a lot of real time rendering and seeing that, uh, 
which falls hand in hand with virtual production. But like, I just did a, um, I, I developed a animated uh, series with my friends Zach Dixon, friends uh, Zach Dixon and Sam Cowden, who run a, and their animation studio called IV IV Studio. Um, we we developed a series called The Carrier, which the URL for that is thecarrier.tv. If you want to throw that in, um, and that was a that was a uh, a pitch that we developed for an animated s- a series about essentially about a town in Alaska where mailmen keep disappearing, um, and it was kind of like uh, we described it as like if Saul Goodman got lost in Westworld, like what that the tone of that you know story would be. Um, it's uh for that we uh uh used the i I say we like i wrote co-wrote and co-directed with zach dixon on that Mm -hmm. and um his animation studio iv like created all the visuals for it and using unity and the real-time rendering and unity and it's beautiful like it's it's if you check out the sizzle reel at that site at the carrier.tv it's a uh, immensely proud of how that cinematic sizzle that we made came out, and it's um, it's all rendered in real time, which just blows my mind. Um, and I think there's just we've only kind of cracked the surface of what that you know what that w- could deliver in terms of storytelling. I'm sure I'm forgetting something really exciting, but those are the things that first came to mind. Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. No, that's I. I especially am fascinated at how these video game tools are being. Um, well, at first it was it was really a twisting of them and 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 changing. This isn't what they were designed for. But now, how much support from from both Unity and and Epic? Like they're like, yeah, do it, go run with this stuff, yeah. and it's. And I really love that, which leads me kind of to my next question. Um, with with the way social media and, and the content creation in that space um, has gone, it's shorter, 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 shorter. We have it, – it used to be even YouTube, long, even what I would consider long-form content has even gotten shorter and shorter. Um, I'm curious. I don't, I don't want to – taint your answer in how I phrase the question. So I'm curious on your thoughts on social media's effect on content creation, both for the platforms that they're being produced on TikTok and YouTube and and, and the like, but also how that affects um, some of the more commercial products, like like your commercials or or a movie or TV show. You know, smarter people have answered this question and we should always look up and search for those smarter people's answers. Uh, in the meantime, I'll try to provide mine, which first and foremost, I think that if social media, social media has provided so many people an outlet for creative expression where they have, did not have one before. And that I think in and of itself makes it a plus like that in and of itself is a triumph and, and something to celebrate um man i loved there's a movie last year called the mitchells versus the machines which was like one of my favorite it was my favorite movie last year and one of my favorite movies in a long time and i loved that that movie had a in the end landed on this message of it wasn't an anti-technology movie even though it's all about technology turning on us it was all about I think the line was like, hey, if 
if your website let allowed my daughter to make that thing, then it there must be something, some value to it. It must be a pretty cool uh, website. And I just like, I think that that is a wonderful sentiment and one that I think we should uh, always keep in mind, which like you, I love TikTok. I friggin' love TikTok. I, I'm a fan. I love the weird stuff that's being made on there. It's there's just so here's the thing. It's equally insp- not inspiring. It's, it's literally just entertaining. Like it literally like brings me joy. And at the same time, if I, if I, if I let myself think too hard about it, it's enormously depressing because I am because uh, selfishly, it makes me less significant. Significant. <laughs> it's like, look how many other people can do what you do, Seth. Like, oh. and look how well they can do it. You're not that special, Whirly. And it's a sobering thing and an important thing to learn. Um, but in the same way that, like, there's so much content out there in the world. Um, it's made it a little hard to stand out as a creator now. Whereas uh, ten years ago. You can make a short film, put it online, and there was a pretty good chance. If it was pretty good, there was a very decent chance of it going viral and you directing a Thor movie two months later. Like sure. that, there was a pocket of time where that was a thing. And that's that's where I was able to kind of find a little bit of success. I didn't get a Thor movie, but I I got meetings on those kinds of movies and where I didn't have any before. And that time is is pretty over. I feel, uh, in terms of like, you know, making viral videos to further your career. However, like the time of being able to make something that you think would be fun and putting it online and having, and having it be able to connect with other people who do find it fun that, I mean, we're thriving in an age, that age right now. And I think that's incredibly cool. And I think that I think no matter what people are going to want to make and consume content. And so, and there's, as long as that's the case, there's going to be places to be able to do that. And you just, like I said before, you have to be able to enjoy the process. If you're a creator, you have to find a way to enjoy the process of making it as much as you can without the validation of other people seeing it, uh, in your lifetime, you know, like, um, yeah, that's all we have control over is what we make. Right. Um, not, how successful it is. Oh, cool. I like that. I like that. Cause sometimes I hear, did I answer the question? I don't know if I did. I think but, so. I, okay. It was good insight. Um, cause it was some, it was some words, it was enough words to, yeah. <laughs> well, as, as the, the social media manager at Puget systems here, I, I spend a good deal of my time on social media. Um, and as I, I've tried real hard not to become, not my dad. My dad had a really good mindset as, as far as like the evolution of technology and things like that. He didn't really demonize um, new stuff. And I tried to carry that along with myself. Like nice. a lot of people, you know, poop on, on TikTok because oh, it's just a bunch of like kids dancing and weird challenges and stuff. And it's like, it's so much more than that. Those There's, people haven't watched TikTok. Oh, on TikTok. Yeah. I, I have to say they've done a tremendous job at, at being able to funnel content that you're interested in to you there. Yeah. It's great. Um, so people out there, if you, don't way to go old man TikTok. <laughs> yeah. doing it well but it, it just it seems that there is that cycle of, of like demonizing anything that's new right the previous yeah. generation is like oh that's not how we did things and and it's it's nice to it's nice to hear there are others who have a mindset of like no this is good like this is how 
innovation and evolution of yeah. so society and social connections is, and it's a good thing in general. Yeah, absolutely. It's refreshing. Because uh, otherwise, you're just old man yelling at cloud. Like there's right? no yeah. Yeah, I I I mean I get what. Like my daughters are like super stoked about, but I'm stoked that they're stoked about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? As long as it's not racist, I'm all for it. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. It's, it's super fun. And I love seeing, cause I, well, I go down, I've rambled down a, a path. This, I'm this pretty sure this is a podcast. This is the place to do it. Right. If you're going to do it. I do try to stay, stay on topic a little bit though. It's go down. Good path. for you. Uh, you're better, better podcast host than I am. <laughs> um, how do you feel about the NFT slash web 3.0 stuff? I got really excited by NFTs. Um, uh, when I first was exposed to, the the um the gener the generative art projects the um oh mm -hmm. uh, like Bushido's is an example of one of them the 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 and I'm not blanking on all the rest of them um I think even the like the board ape thing was even yes that's a generative art, art yeah. yeah the idea of like uh, an artist or like an, a collection a group of artists making a whole like library of components and this idea of like generating a uh, individual piece of art from all of those, a character, uh, and that is yours. Like, and that's the thing that's minted in, in yours and that there's a story, there's a, there's the, like a storytelling aspect potentially built into it as well. Like that got me really excited was the idea of, um, um, it's a, it, it, the idea of it being a new, almost like a glorified Kickstarter, like a, like a, like a, like the kick, like a, a new version of Kickstarter. Cause I, you know, I loved running a Kickstarter, Kickstarter campaign when we um, created the story clock notebook. Cause I love, it was a whole new experience to be able to craft for, for people like the actual art of the actual experience of backing a Kickstarter project is a, it's a storytelling experience you get to be a part of, of like the creation of a product and how you present that creation of that product and the process of it. Uh, is really, really, uh, uh, is, is really fun and exciting to me. And so the idea that there was like this now, it, the whole generative art project of it all, like created all this cool opportunity for that kind of a thing. Um, and, uh, you know, and even possibly raise funding for a, like, you could create like, a. a, a uh, and you know, an IP, like you can create a story of characters and that existed first as this generative art project. And then through running, if that project's successful, you kind of raise, potentially raise money to make the version of the thing that you maybe originally wanted to make, or I thought there's a lot of possibility there since then it's kind of gotten a little toxic and weird in some mm -hmm. areas. Um, it's also very hard to break into it if you don't know anybody. And that was where I, I bumped up against like trying to find just a developer, a blockchain developer, like uh, a friend of mine, I had some ideas, storytelling ideas within that space and haven't really gotten around to it. And I, I think it's such a, the, the, it's a world that's kind of moving so fast that if you don't do something within a month, it's kind of over. Mm -hmm. um, but that was my, that was my take on it. You know, three or four months ago it was, it was a very exciting and maybe it still is an exciting place, but it's also left a weird taste in a lot of people's mouths as well. But, 
and it's hard to differentiate how much of that is old men yelling at clouds and how much mm-hmm. of that is actual uh, yeah yeah observation and i find myself a little in between because i i, I want to see some more practical applications beyond just goofy pictures you know yeah and and i liked how you were you were coming at it from like a story storytelling or, or story generation sort of angle because like i could see something where um like like a garbage pail kids remember that back in the yeah, day? yeah yeah and all those different kind of weird characters and stuff that they had all surrounding this sort of universe um i could well, see something like that coming evolving out of it i had a project i, ha- I have a project that i'm then uh writing on and off for the past year that actually would have been a really fun kind of take on this like the generative art project idea but i i can't i can't because i'm gonna eventually make the thing so i can't talk about it so i don't know why i even brought it up um i i know i'm supposed to wait for you to like uh to to uh pick cherry pick these comment these questions but i did see one i did want to comment on the one from chris here yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have we yeah. lost the discovery and spontaneity if we're constantly being micro-targeted pimple popping videos? Well, first off, like stop watching pimple popping videos. Just start quick way to get to be targeted something else is to like turn to your wife and say something about toasters. And pretty soon you'll get videos about toasters. Or like you can kind of say into the world what you want to watch next. I also uh I do th- I do really as a creator, I really miss uh pre 2016 when there were no when the before we got the algorithmic timelines on twitter and instagram um uh it's it's such a fraction of people see my posts now on both on both social networks whereas before it was such a great way to instantly communicate with my aunts and now i have no idea what they're seeing and if they're seeing anything since the algorithmic timeline kicked in so Yes, we have kind of lost discovery and spontaneity a little. I think we've lost it as a a shared experience. Like God, look at how much we all loved Wordle. The, mm-hmm. Like, I think the shared experience of Wordle was such a massive part of the uh, success of it. Um, and I think that with the algorithm, with all the with algorithmic timelines and like that, it's like we've. It's been hard to be a part of a shared experience that isn't uh, that isn't inherently negative um uh you know like during the trump presidency it was very easy to the only shared experience we seemed to have was that was what was going on in the world and and not you know whereas it does help us to have shared experiences over dumb videos and you know like i I, the world needs stupid crap and and and, like sometimes and it's and often it's really fun to all be in on the same stupid crap together i agree god we're solving world problems on this podcast well, Look at us. Like to, we'd like to try at least bring bring people together in in we did it, it we seems, united the world it seems we cliche, did but we there, we really do have a lot more similarities and differences no matter who you are where you're from like people in general like yeah we're we're a lot more the same than, than we absolutely are. um Oh, here's a great question from Blake Rizzo. How do you fight the battle Hi, of an internet schedule of daily weekly content to fuel an algorithm versus the time it takes to make a short film you care about? Well, first off, hello to Blake. Blake is an awesome uh, VFX artist and compositor. You all should go check him out in his work. Um, Blake, the answer to that question is 
just calm down and get some sleep and work on the things that make you excited. Work on the things that pay your bills and the, and and and, and the things that uh, excite you and try your best to make those things the same things. Um, I've fallen out of this place of believing that you need to be constantly hammering social media with your content in order to get it to care. Like, no, I, I just, I just don't, I think that that's yes. Building an audience is important and all well and good, but being happy with the things you're making and like challenging yourself and working with cool people, that's all significantly more important. And so I say, make things you're proud of and put them out there and, don't be afraid to market the living hell out of them, uh, those things. But don't don't just yeah, don't hurt yourself. Well, I think it ties back to like what you were saying about um, enjoying the process of it, not necessarily the end product. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Right? Like, if you if you are an idea if you're like if you're twenty and you are an idea machine from midnight to midnight and you have just constant ideas and time to shoot a million TikTok videos and put them out like, good God, go do it. You're having fun. Yeah. If you're 37 like me and you have three kids and you are exhausted all of the time, like you don't need to be posting stories every five seconds and generating TikTok content. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Though. Yeah, let's uh, all go to sleep. Just, Take a nap. Touch over our hour, and I understand you're a very busy gentleman. So um, so busy. So important. <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time out of the day to to talk with us. Today. Oh man, Houston, thank really you for different. having me on. Man, I really I, I had a blast, and yeah. uh, thanks for everybody who listened. Yeah, and yeah, wow, you kind of you convinced my outro into just like two sentences like that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Um, but yeah, yeah. Thank you for taking the time and thank you the, to the audience as well. Um, before we go though, Seth, is there anything you'd like to shout out or, or ask anybody to go visit um, or anything? Like oh that? man, I think I did that throughout the whole show. Yeah. Seth Worley.com. Check out the, check out VFX and chill every Friday uh, at VFX and chill dot show at noon Pacific. I believe uh, we have a blast and uh, listen to the writer's room game show. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. All right. Then, um, yeah, I'll do my normal outro thing. Um, we do this every Wednesday um, at 1 p.m. Pacific, though we are changing the format a little bit after this one, I think. Um, it'll be more pre-recorded stuff with more sprinklings of live content as uh, schedules work better for different folks and stuff. Uh, we often have external experts like Seth coming on to talk about their process of things, what goes on behind the curtain, things that we don't often get to see as general consumers of content. And also our internal experts like Matt Bach and Kelly Shipman and Dr. Don Kinghorn um, to talk more about how hardware and software is kind of crossover and affect the overall workflow for people. So um, Wednesdays, 1 p.m. Pacific uh, here on YouTube, Twitch, uh, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So, yeah, thanks, Very everybody, cool. and we'll see you all next time. Bye.